Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Barry, along with my very good friend, Father Richard Heilman. My always amazing, very good friend, Father Richard Heilman. Along with my very excellent and always great friend, Father Richard Heilman. We are thrilled tonight. We've got Father Chad Ripperger back with us. We're happy that you're with us. And of course, my good friend, Father Richard Heilman. And tonight we've got Monsignor Pope is with us once again. Yeah. It's been a long time. We've got him back finally. And we have a great guest on tonight. Father Jim Blunt is with us. And tonight we've got Mark Mallett with us. Prophecy Hello. expert and musician, author, writer, and all-around good guy from Canada. Yes, it's true. There are good guys in Canada. And we got Father Chris LR with us tonight. And tonight we've got Joshua Charles back with us from the bullpen. Joshua Charles is up, ready to pitch an amazing podcast tonight. Father Donald Calloway is with us again. You can hear the crowd cheering. It's awesome having him back. He's pulled up from the bullpen, ready to go. Our guest tonight, of course, is Christine Watkins. This is going to be a fantastic episode about the warning. And tonight, our guest is Daniel O'Connor. He is back, and by popular demand, we're thrilled to have him back. And tonight, we've got Xavier Aral with us, a brilliant, truly brilliant Frenchman. Brilliant. Brilliant. Of course, everything begins with prayer. And Father, we always turn that over to you. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. St. Michael the Angel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. Appreciate that. And of course, we always thank everybody out there who supports the U.S. Grace Force podcast. We cannot do this without you, your prayers, your encouragement, and yes, your financial support through the Patreon program. You can click the link in the description below. That helps us out tremendously. And we've been bringing you some pretty serious messages lately. Now, you know, Father and I, we try to keep a bit of a light sense of humor where we can. Daniel, good to have you back, brother. Honored to be back. Thank you for having me back. I didn't get fired from last time. That's good. No, Maybe no, this time it, I will. <laughs> I think some of it is because you you have a signature hat that you wear, yeah, as do right. I. Thanks and, to you. You were yeah. your web that was the first time I did it. People don't need to see my receding airline anymore. Just, <laughs> well, what that? well, my mine has gone back so far. I, I try not to be too much of a light to the world. Uh or, I was or, trying to tell you that's not what Jesus meant when he said be a light to the world. You don't need a reflecting for it. It's not a reflection. Okay. It's, no. supposed, it's supposed to be from the heart and soul. Yes. I get it. Okay, okay. Of course. This is a very important message. It's about prophecy. We've got Mark Mallett with us. And Mark uh, goes back many, many years as musician, songwriter, author. This is an incredible individual who's done much, much great work, I should say. I've in... been following you for years. So oh, yeah. Yeah, we've known about you for a long time. Yeah, yeah, we've we've got a most wanted poster on the wall in the office of Mark Mallet. We've been wanting to get you on for a while. <laughs> However, with all that being said, we know there's there's trouble out there, and you could say very very much on the horizon, things are going to most likely be getting even more troubling. We want to stay close to God. We don't want to lose sight of that. So we thank all of you for your support in helping us get this message out to as many people as possible. Please like this, share it, subscribe, get the word out. These podcasts are very powerful ways to get this message to a lot of people out there who might be just wondering, thinking, you know what? I wonder if there's something in these times. And a guest like we have tonight, uh, brilliant Frenchman, brilliant Frenchman, Xavier Aral is with us. And we're very thrilled to have you on, Xavier. Thank you so much for joining us on the U.S. Grace Force. Good evening, Doug. Good evening, Father. And thank you ever so much for your very kind invitation. I want to just build on what you were just saying there. 
in that what we discovered, and I think we knew this before, but but we discovered it to the nth degree, if you will, that uh, people who are tuned in, and I like to use that expression, but what do I mean by tuned in? They're well connected to the divine life, right? They're in a state of grace. Those are the ones that we're seeing what's going on and are seeing what's going on and are going, mm-hmm. you know, I, I you kind of you, you kind of know what evil's up to and you kind of see what God's doing at the same time. You see, you're 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 tuned into that deeper supernatural life, and uh, and I think that's, and I I'm guessing that's our listeners too, our, our the people who are watching the, this podcast is. You know, they're sensing something's on the horizon and because they're tuned in. It's just there's a building up that's coming. And and again, that's why we were uh, so excited to have you on, Xavier, because you're very tuned in. And, you, and you've been looking and helping us to understand what God's up to, what the Blessed Mother's been up to, what and, and in the midst of what the devil's been up to so severely in these last two and a half years, you know, so... Anyways, that's what I wanted to just chime in with. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, well, I would say, Xavier, I, I asked you before we started the podcast, if you had one really key message that you would want to get out, what would it be? And this is where we came up with the title is about converting now, that the right. times are urgent. Can you can you kind of address, if we can just start off, let's, let's just go right into that. Why the sense of urgency now? I mean, we've heard it for many years, but you you also believe with your research and your prayer life and such this sense that it's even really like capital letter now. Can you uh, explain a little bit of that? Why you feel that way? Yes, um, I believe the following: we are right now living in a point of references in the future books of history, in the same manner that in 1917, in the course of World War One. Heaven thought adequate to send the Blessed Virgin Mary to that obscure little village of Portugal called Fatima. Today the Virgin Mary is reappearing again and again and again, this time in the four corners of the world, echoing the same message. It's a message, I would say, of hope, extraordinary hope, but it's an admonition of the utmost importance. And this admonition is this. Convert now. While there is still time for the events that are to come and which have been instigated by the sins of man and by a society that has become devoid of God, is running to its perdition, convert principally through this. The living, the reading and living of Holy Scriptures. The reading and the leaving of the Gospels of the New Testament, of Catechism, particularly that issued in 1992 at the, upon the orders of His Holiness John Paul II. Leave the Holy Sacraments of the Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, the only church which, contrary to other denominations, has been founded by our Lord Jesus Christ upon St. Peter. And when I mentioned or rather when heaven mentions leaving the sacraments of the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, I refer particularly to the importance of going through confession, preferably once a month, especially on the first Saturdays of every month. 
and to convert, to repent with all your heart, with all sincerity. This is his being asked through the imploring and loving voice of a mother who wants only the well-being of, of her children. Many of you, I'm sure, are very familiar with the miracle of the Blessed Mother's image in the Eucharist that took place in San Francisco. And Father Chris was there. He's going to break it all down for us in detail. Yeah, you know, I've I've always um, thought that a place in the epicenter where we need God, and especially Our Lady today, is San Francisco. Right. I've had a lot of close friends in the Oakland, Stockton, uh, San Francisco area, Brentwood area. And I it just always, it was very interesting because for years going out there and seeing the effect of the degradation of our culture and um, marriage and the dignity of life and just um, the pagan kind of embracing of the pagan life just really seemed to be um, uh, shown there in a deeper way. And I always thought, you know, pray for this part of our country, particularly San Francisco, because, you know, it's kind of the epicenter of the pride movement and whatnot. And when I was invited to go out there, I've had to cancel a lot of my events recently um, after being elected provincial superior. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to keep this one in San Francisco because we need the message so much. And sure enough, I went out there and they wanted me to speak on Mary and the Eucharist. And guess when this conference was? October 13th. Mm. And so we have the, the anniversary of Our Lady uh, of Fatima. And so I talked about this. I talked about Our Lady. Uh, I opened on that Friday night with the talks on, on Mary, who she is. And then following that talk was all talks on the Eucharist. And I had never done those kind of talks before in ex explaining the connection of Mary and the Eucharist. And I just really felt, wow, this is, this is something we don't talk about more. And sure enough, right after the conference ended, they brought out the largest monstrance I've ever seen in my life. Um, this monstrance uh, was about five and a half feet tall. Wow. And the host was a, almost a foot in diameter. Wow. Very large. You can't tell from the picture. Right. It looks like a normal monstrous, but it's actually yeah. about a foot in diameter. Wow. And sure enough, everybody there present saw Our Lady. And it wasn't just one person seeing it or somebody taking a picture and then they developed it and saw it. Everybody saw it as it was happening and the sacristan came out and took the picture mm. and that's the picture that we posted online and i have never seen a picture of our lady in the eucharist but i had never given a talk about our lady in the eucharist right. and the reason is because people were saying well why is mary on top of the eucharist no mary's in the heart of jesus mm. and guess what my talk was one of the four talks i did was on Eucharistic miracles that actually the Eucharist is human heart tissue. And the Eucharist is the heart of Jesus in the flesh. You're eating the actual flesh of Christ in the Eucharist. And Mary's in the heart of Jesus. And the heart is the Eucharist. It makes perfect sense. When I first saw the picture, I, you know, I wondered, 
is this a reflection? But you know, it really, it really can't be. Can you help us uh, understand that yeah. part of it? Because that's, I think that some people said, "Oh, that's just a reflection," but I didn't. That's not what I saw. But you no, it's it's not a reflection, and we need to make this very clear because to get a reflection that big to fill up the entire monstrance, which was a foot in diameter, right. that would have had to have been five feet in front of the monstrance right. uh that that statue and there and there wasn't but a statue of mary to be that sized in the in the eucharist would have had to have been five at the most 10 feet from the eucharist and the monstrance was in the middle of the uh, front of the altar and, the and everybody everybody was seeing it so from different angles right yes you yes. you'd only get that reflection at one angle. Exactly. You know? And, and was, it was, was there a statue of Mary anywhere? Or, you know? No. Uh, and I'm not saying that they didn't maybe have one somewhere in the back, but there was none present. There right. was none there during the talk. There was none there during the conference. Um, but you would have had to, if you went up to the monstrous and looked for a reflection, like if she was in the back of the church, a statue. Right. It would it would have been this big right. um, in in the reflection of the monstrance. Instead, she filled the whole thing. And and I think that has a lot to do with the warning, if I'm not mistaken. Can you break that down for us a little bit about what the warning is, what the points are, the references to it, so that people can be clear on that as we break down what our response should be to this thing. And first of all, you you made a point about prophecy being conditional or not, and and I do believe there are actually two different kinds. I believe there's prophecy that actually is not conditional. And we know that kind through the Bible in terms of the prophecies leading up to there being Jesus. Mm, yes, yes. That was not a conditional prophecy in right. Zechariah, you know, 500 years in Isaiah. All these Old Testament prophets are talking very specifically about a savior, mm. a man who dies a horrible death and it dies because of our sins and comes from Bethlehem. And uh, there's so many specifics in that prophecy. And that was not conditional. It wasn't one of those things whereby if humanity acted a certain way, it wouldn't happen. So there, then there, as you mentioned, there are conditional prophecies. And I believe that in the conditional prophecies are often mentioned as such. Uh, Nineveh was a little different, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah was a little different, but Our Lady of Fatima said, if you do these things, or if you do not do these things, a worse war will break out. Mm -hmm. So in general, conditional prophecy is mentioned in that way. The warning, I do not believe, is the conditional prophecy. There'd be a moment in time when everything goes dark, and this is in uh, the sixth seal as well as in Matthew 25, and then there's a bright light, and from the holes where the Savior was nailed and, and his side, bright rays will strike the earth and pierce every soul, no matter their belief, no matter their age, no matter the time of day, no matter where they are. And every person, this is the gift of the flame of love. Elizabeth Kindleman, I, I should have mentioned her as well. 
She is the founder of the Flame of Love movement in the church, which is bishop approved. These are the rays of love, the rays of mercy from Christ, but also the rays from our mother's heart, which she obtained for us. She wants to heal us. Jesus wants us to receive this mercy. And when everyone is pierced all at the same time, we no longer will pay attention to one another. We will all be in our own personal experience. A little bit like what happened in Fatima, where the sun was dislodged from the sky. The sun came hurling down at people and no one thought about the person next to them. They were shouting out their sins. They were in a moment, a personal moment with their God. No one's going to go, hey, Sally, did you catch that? It's not going to be like that. <laughs> we're so going wait, to. So so then people will not be pulling out their phones and texting and putting something on Twitter. And it's probably not going to happen. You're not going to believe this, Sally. I just posted my last sin. This isn't going well. <laughs> yeah, no. Um <laughs> So we are going to see a life review, which will last about 10 to 15 minutes mm -hmm. of our sinfulness and the effects of our sin. So what this does is it breaks open. You, We will know that there's a God. We will know our sins and we will know where we would go, where were we to die right then and what it would feel like. Hence, some people, they might not survive it because of the emotional shock. Let's say you've been in mortal sin for 17 years and you thought you were just the cat's meow and you never felt a twinge of conscience about it. And then you see not only what you did, but what that did to that person and that person and that person and the horrible repercussions of sin. It's shocking. God still being merciful, God still being who he is, God being our delight, God being all love will still, even if a person emotionally doesn't undergo the impact of the emotion well enough to survive it, they will be given a hand of mercy. So even in their death, they can make it to heaven eventually. Other people will see what it's like to be in purgatory, and they will know what the sins are they need to confess afterwards to repent of, to move closer to God. And those who are very, very, very close to God or already in heaven will simply know that as well. So it's a beautiful, beautiful grace for all of us to know, you know, in Garabandal, Conchita is one of the visionaries there. And when she was asked what it would be like, she had said, well, it's be very, very hard, but you will love God so much more. And first of all, you know, why Our Lady of Sorrows? Uh, there's devotions out there. And you've helped me to enter into more fully into this beautiful, beautiful devotion. But the power of that and, and you know, why you chose that for uh, your ministry, uh, our, um, Sorrowful Mother Ministries, Our Sorrowful Mother. But uh, if you could just kind of unpack that for us, you know, what is it about the devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows uh, that actually compelled you to um, name your ministry after this beautiful devotion? Uh, the first, um, the first reason primarily that we did was uh, to name our society the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother was because of the fact that one of the promises of those who have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows 
is that she promises that she will protect the individual who has the devotion and their family from diabolic incursion. Why? And so I realized, well, that's what, that's what we're going to be dealing with yeah. a lot. And so it's important to actually have her, um, you know, front and center in that battle. And also because of the fact that obviously um, there is no demon that doesn't have absolute fear of her. And so we figured if she, as long as she's on our side, we're good. The second part of it is something which I kind of only learned over the course of time. Um, and then I'll mention kind of a third thing. But the, the, the second one was basically, some of people have probably heard me say this actually on some of my other podcasts, but basically it boils down to this. So when our Lord um, was taken to uh, St. Simeon with, uh, by Our Lady and St. Joseph, St. Simeon said to Our Lady, your soul should be pierced so that the hearts of many will be laid bare. And so what that basically means, and this is something I've discovered over the course of time, uh, praying to her and asking her for uh, intercession, specifically in possession cases, but then later I extended it to quite a few other things, is, is that because Our Lady stood be uh, beneath the cross, so we're talking about it's right on the heels of the Feast of um, the Holy Cross, because she stood at the foot of the cross, she merited an intimacy with God that no one else has. Now, that means that she, that God is very similar to the rest of us. In fact, I think he put that natural inclination in us to, re to reflect a little bit on, to reflect him, his that perfection, which is the more intimate or the closer you we are to people, the more likely we are to say things to them about what our interior heart really reflects rather than, you know, people that we don't know very well, where it's not that we're necessarily standoffish or anything. We're just not going to talk to them about things that are more intimate in our own interior lives. And so basically God reveals things to our lady. He does not reveal to other people. This is obvious just in her apparitions, right? She starts revealing future events, which um, obviously God has communicated to her. And so she's revealing those things. He doesn't reveal them necessarily to anybody else, but he allow her to reveal them to us if we ask. And so that's to draw attention to her perfection as Our Lady of Sorrows and her her intimacy, that perfection of intimacy that he has with her. And so what we started to do, what I started doing initially was asking Our Lady of Sorrows to reveal to me when cases would grind out for a little while, they would kind of stall out just a little bit. And so then I would start asking Our Lady of Sorrows, please reveal to us what where we go from here. And then usually very quickly, all of a sudden something would be revealed or someone would receive a grace. Um, I would receive a grace to say, okay, this is where we need to go. And then the case would start progressing again. Um, and then over the course of time, I began to realize, well, then she also, because she knows our spiritual lives so well, because she's the matrix of all grace, it also means that she can reveal to us our own interior defects. Also, and, and so I'll ask her, you know, what's the defect your son wants me to work on, right? And she would, usually within a, within um, a couple of days, if I kept asking her, that she would reveal to me something about my spiritual life that I hadn't seen before. And this has helped to, um, you know, slowly eradicate things that were displeasing to God, were just completely unknown. And you can actually pray this for other people that they, that God reveals them. So parents can do it for their children or pastors can do it for their, uh, for specific um, uh, parishioners and things of this sort. Um, the other thing is, is that we also ask her to reveal to us, and obviously you're not asking her to us to reveal what the lotto numbers are that are going to be drawn tomorrow. You're asking her to reveal stuff that's important in your spiritual life. And as a result of that, she actually will reveal those things. And you'll the way you'll notice it is, because um, uh, one of my 
close friends who's also an exorcist said, hey, you know, in your book, you need to kind of explain what that means because people are going to expect some type of, you know, ah, revelation. That's not how it happens. It comes in the norm of an ordinary grace where you get clarity about this is what the problem is. And so people can use it to ask her to reveal the generational spirit within their family, the families, the things that are re afflicting their children. I tell parents, especially if you have teenagers, it's a good idea to ask our lady, reveal to me stuff I need to know about my kids, if this is what's going, you know, if there's something going on that I need to go on. So that's the, that's it, it, in that revelation that actually gives us, that gives us the information we need to do to continue this, uh, the progression in the spiritual life, but also to engage in the spiritual warfare well, because spiritual warfare, you've heard me say before, precision is everything. And so she can give us precise knowledge about this is the nature of the guy that you're dealing with. And then you can hone in on him and it's much, much more effective. The prayers become much more effective because they're much more specific. So we originally connected about the book and it's called The War of the Antichrist with the church and Christian civilization, if people can see it there. Um, so this was actually written in 1885 by a priest named Monsignor George F. Dillon. And I read it. <laughs> okay, let me back up a little bit. I came into the church in July 2019. Uh, so July 13th, actually, so a Fatima date. And so my first Easter in the church was 2020. Uh, and again, if you guys don't remember, there was a, a it was a rather eventful year, uh, especially uh, liturgically. So my first year, my first Easter as a Catholic was with a lockdown church. Couldn't even celebrate Easter as a Catholic, uh, no. at least not at, not at the not at the liturgy. So during that time, I was doing a ton of research on uh, eschatological issues. I was studying the Freemasonry issue a bit more. How that all happens, a whole other story. But it was pretty providential. And so I was on an amazing resource for researchers, archive.org. There's a ton of old books up there that you can find. And I, because I'd heard about this book that had been endorsed by Pope Leo XIII about Freemasonry that apparently laid it all out. And that book was The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization by, by Monsignor George F. Dillon. And so here, here's how we described it in the back, in case any of this sounds relevant to your audience says, Monsignor Dillon details the Masonic plot to de-Christianize the world through, and here are the agenda items, through the separation of church and state, through democratic ideology, meaning the people are sovereign, not God, religious indifferentism, civil marriage and easy divorce laws, secularized education, the encouragement of moral decay among the population, the destruction of the temporal and spiritual authority of the Pope, all animated by an atheistic socialist, communist, and ultimately pantheistic ideology of nature worship that will climax with the arrival of the Antichrist. Holy cow, he wrote that in the 1800s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I literally just made sure I covered... That last week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's what it felt like when I was reading I, it. Josh, I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't see the correlation with our times right now. <laughs> what am I missing? Yeah. So when Satan is released and he's no longer held back, as much as he was right after our Lord's crucifixion. Is it crazy to think that that alliance will be rekindled and that that will once again be the ruling force on this planet in some tangible way? No, it's not. It's exactly what we would expect. If, I mean, scripture literally says Satan was bound. That's incarnation forward. But then prior to his return, he'll be unbound. So something like the pre-cross world will seem to return. It goes back to Rabbi Khan's book, 
the return of the old gods. And Naomi Wolf has talked about this. I'm I'm trying to get in contact with her because I want to be she's been reading the Bible. You know, she she used to be the secular Jewish woman and she was really on top of things with the vaccines and a lot of COVID stuff. She's reading the Bible and she's talking about it. I want to get this to her because she was saying the same thing. She said, it seems like the old gods have returned or they're returning. Like something like this paganism that ancient Israel was constantly being infested by seems like it's coming back. It's like, yeah, I think it is. And, and so all that to say, why would humans uh, ally with demonic intelligence? Well, for a very simple reason, demons are way smarter than us. Angelic intelligence is way smarter than us. So if, if angelic intelligence in the person of demons could find willing human agents and say to them, <clears throat> we'll aggrandize your power, we'll aggrandize your wealth, your pleasure, your fame, whatever it may be, in exchange for you know their souls, really. But um, are they going to do that? Absolutely. They did it before. That was the whole, except Israel, and of course Israel was falling quite often, but barring Israel, that was the whole pre-Christ civilizational order. That was it. And so I do think um, I wouldn't be surprised if very advanced knowledge has been uh, given in those sorts of alliances. We know from Scripture itself that Pharaoh's magicians uh, were able to produce pretty astounding effects. Yeah. And we know from St. Paul, he says explicitly that Antichrist will come with all the power of Satan and false signs and wonders. So there will be there will be phenomena that Antichrist is able to affect that will appear miraculous, okay? So in a technological age, uh, it's hard to think that that would not be, I'm sorry, it, it's hard to think it would, it would, that would be achieved without technology, without very advanced technology that, that takes advantage of forces in nature that we're perhaps not very learned about now, mm -hmm. at least according to the, the standard history book. So, so I have many thoughts about that. That's getting into the, uh, the more dark web part of my brain here, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do. I personally, my gut instinct, uh, Daniel O'Connor and I are going to be doing a podcast about this. He's doing great. He's working on a book on this. Have you guys met Daniel? Daniel, I'm curious, break down a bit. If you could, please, you know, when we talk about the church going through her passion, um, what does that passion look like? I mean, we're seeing signs of things, you know, we know our lady Bikita in 1973 said that we would have problems in the clergy to the highest levels and so forth, you know, but we are seeing these things unfold, obviously with, you know, bishops being canceled, good priests being canceled. Um, Cardinal Burke, uh, it's been noted in the news as of late that he's kind of under the gun too. Uh, these types of things are very common now. What do you see with your research investigation and paying attention to the signs of the times? What do you see as the passion that the church is, is undergoing that we can at least understand right now because it could get a lot worse yeah. it could be stuff that's off the charts we can't even comprehend what do you see though unfortunately i think it will get a lot worse and if you better buckle your seatbelt because what we've seen so far is a preview for what's coming yeah and you know that when, when you say you know sure private revelation you have to listen to it and a lot of people they, they just want to completely ignore it and, and and i'm not saying it's it's required for salvation i'm not saying it's part of the deposit of faith but i always think back to the uh uh Revelation, the apparitions of Our Lady of uh, Cabejo. And, and I was just at a conference a couple of weeks ago. I was speaking to Immaculate Ilbegiza. And her testimony now is, is unbelievably powerful because she talks about Our Lady of Cabejo coming a decade before that genocide and saying, you know, rivers of blood, they're coming. But here's what you need to do. You pray the rosary and, and, and reiterating what, she's, what Our Lady is always saying in the apparitions. And they didn't listen 
because it was, oh, just a private revelation. And, and in fact, I remember Immaculate saying, I had dinner with her the night before, she was saying, oh, the people who heard that, they were thinking, okay, maybe this is hundreds of years from now. Who knows? No, it was it was 10 years from, it, it was just several years away that, that what she was speaking of came. They they had just pushed it off just far enough to not have to think about it. But no, Our Lady can't, Our Lady comes because it's urgent. And we have had exponentially more apparitions in these last several decades, uh, exponentially more than ever before in history. Are all of them authentic? Of course not. But many of them are. And those authentic ones, she's coming for a reason. And that reason is not so we can just ignore her. Great to have you on. You are a member of SALT, uh, Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And you are an exorcist. You've been involved in deliverance work since, I think you said, before you became a priest, back as a teenager, in fact. Yes. Um, so we want you to break down a little bit. Um, you've been receiving incredible messages from heaven. Uh, Our Lady's been showing you things. You've had visions. You've had all sorts of unbelievable things that point to the times that we're in and just how dark things are. But the tremendous hope that we all know is coming, and we just have to make that decision of our own free will, which side we're going we're gonna to go towards. And so if I have any secret, it's that, it's the Catholic faith. If you say, if life is a problem or a mystery, then the Catholic faith is the answer, the Catholic faith. In particular, the Eucharist and the Virgin Mary, who teaches us how to worship Jesus in the Eucharist and how to receive him well. And so I really want to proclaim a message to all who are watching is, is come back to the Catholic Church, or if you're in the church, seek to know her better and deeper everything is there everything is there it's a gold mine it's a diamond mine we still haven't um, uncovered all the great gifts god has given to the church so everything is there in the eucharist in our lady in the catechism of the catholic church in the sacred scriptures in the lives of the saints we have everything and so we should ask the holy spirit to guide us for sure but we have what we need and victory is on the way and like you said doug the really the question now is which side will I be on? The victory is coming. Will I be on the side of victory or on the side of, of losing, the side of defeat and depression and despair? We need to make a decision now. And this appears to be a worldwide test that we're in and perhaps like a final test for the church. Can the church remain faithful to her crucified and risen master? Even when you might say all hell breaks loose, even when the hurricane comes, can we still remain faithful to our Catholic faith when everything around us has dissolved? It seems to be like a, a marvelous, um, you might say, last days sort of test for us. Audience has heard you have had some pretty incredible visions about these times. And one in particular of Our Lady unfurling this dark cloth around the earth. Could you speak to this and what it refers to? Because if I'm not mistaken, we've already been through one phase of that. Uh, but I'll let you explain this because I know the audience would love to know more in detail, as would we, what happened and what God, what Our Lady is saying to you. Well, yes, I never know uh, when the Lord is going to move on me, when he's going to say something or, or show me something, as he himself taught us that the Holy Spirit is like the wind, and you don't know where he comes from or where he's going, but you know when he's there. Mm. And so this occurred, I was preaching a mission in the southern part of the United States of America, one of the southern states, and my helper, Dave, was driving. We went to the church where the mission was going to start on a Saturday morning, 
We got our materials and began walking up a, a kind of a steep incline to the front entrance of the church. Moving upwards, I just happened to look up naturally, and suddenly I saw the Virgin Mary in the sky above me, several miles up high, just her torso, like from her waist up, almost like Our Lady of Perpetual Help, almost that image. Okay. Very, very beautiful. And I'm looking at her, and it wasn't all that surprising to me in the sense that, you know, when, when you pray constantly, you're, you have the abiding presence of the Lord with you. So I'm used to that presence of Jesus in Mary. Having a healing ministry, I've seen many, many miracles. And so I'm used to these kinds of things happening. That wasn't like shocked out of my mind. I was pleasantly surprised at how beautiful she was. I'm watching her. And she's kind of big, actually. And Mary has something in her hands. I couldn't see what it was. It was dark. Something in her hands. She's, of course, very gentle, very feminine. As I'm watching her, suddenly, whatever it is, something black comes out of this. I thought it was like a box or a cylinder, but something black came out of it. And I realized it was black fabric. So it was like a ream of material that a tailor might use to make a dress or a suit. It was like a ream of material, but you couldn't see from the distance where she was and from my perspective. Material came out and was flowing out, began to spin in her hands. And this huge uh, black material circled around the globe. It went around and came back where I saw it again. There's Mary. And it circles again like five degrees over. And again, another five degrees over. And about 25 rounds. And the whole earth is blacked out from the sun. Totally black. And then I see in white against this totally black background in white letters, blackout. And then it all disappeared. Now, that's interesting. And I told my partner, Dave, what I just saw. We both thought it was interesting. We didn't have any time to discuss it. We had to get in to get set up. So we went in and we gave a mission all day long and a healing service to this beautiful parish. We're all done now, about five or six in the evening. We're packing things up, going back out to the car. As we leave and pack things in the car, I just happened to look up again with nothing on my mind. Just naturally, I opened the door and looked up, and there she was again. The exact same image of the beautiful Virgin Mother holding this black thing in her hand. By now, I thought maybe that's the same ream. I'm watching her. Same thing happens. It unfurls. It spins. The material circles around the globe maybe 20 times. But everything now is completely dark. Then I see the letters in pure white black out. Then it disappears. I said, Dave, look, it just happened again. So he thought, that's really interesting. I wonder what that means. I said, well, it seems like a warning of some sort. We got in the car, drove about 10 minutes away to a parishioner's house to have like a Thanksgiving dinner, a thank you dinner afterwards for my team. So we went to the house of this beautiful parishioner and her husband. They had a nice dinner for us. We park on the street. Again, her driveway is very steep. We walked up her steep driveway to get into the house. And again, now the sun's starting to set. Again, Our Lady appears in the sky, exact same image, exact same black ring, unfurls, circles the earth, everything is completely black, and the word blackout. And then it disappeared. I said, Dave, it just happened a third time. I didn't know what it meant at first. I knew it was serious, though. My and first thought. And what year was this, Father? Forgive me. For what year was this? Did this happen? This was about, um, if I remember correctly, about five or six years ago. Okay. 
if I remember correctly. Okay. Dave might remember better than I do. Okay. All right. Sorry. So no problem. My, my only thought was the three days of darkness, because I saw darkness three times. So that was my one thought, is that Mama's maybe telling us to get ready, perhaps for the three days of darkness, which could well, I still believe that's one of the secondary meanings of what they showed me. As I brought it to prayer, which is what you have to do, you have to bring these things to prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, and also talk it over with a spiritual director, which I did. It was a Catholic layman, though, who gave me the clue. I had thought about this, but I put it in the back of my mind till he spoke to me himself, just like yourself, Doug, or my brother, Bill. There's some very faithful Catholic laymen, and we priests have to learn to listen to the laity. God gives all manner of gifts to the laymen and laywomen and even teenagers. He can give them very special gifts. We have to learn how to listen to everyone because you never know when and through whom God will speak. And so this good layman said, Father, have you thought about, you know, that vision that you had about the electronics and about maybe uh, the shutdown of the churches with COVID-19? I told him, you know, I, I have thought about it. So he spoke to me for a few minutes. I was very intrigued. I went home and brought it to prayer because he brought that from my memory. This is like a year later, what I had been mulling over. And as, as I began to go into the deepest prayer, the presence of Our Lady became very strong, and she began speaking to me. And she seemed to confirm to me this is exactly what was happening. She said that the blackout actually had to do with the Eucharist. That with the COVID-19 and these incredible shutdowns, shutting down the churches worldwide, people were denied the Eucharist in many different ways in their sacraments. And I was remembering Padre Pio, how he said that the world would sooner cease to exist without the Eucharist than without the sun. Mm. The Eucharist is the true sun. And that was, that was the blackout, that we were blocked from the very sun. The S-U-N is the S-O-N. We were blacked out. He was blacked out from us. And then Our Lady asked me as I'm praying, I was, oh my gosh, I was thinking. She said, how many times did you see this? She asked me. And I said, three times. She said, where did you see it the second time? I said to her, at the church again, a second time. She told me in my spirit, that's because it's going to happen a second time. Mm. There's going to be another shutdown. Mm. Maybe, the, maybe the same scenario. I understand, I've heard recently that they're experimenting now with several horrible viruses like the Marsburg virus and other ones to release them. It worked so well the first time, why would they not do it a second time? Mm -hmm. That's the way these kinds of people think. Mm. But I received that in prayer, and this is private revelation, so we don't put 100% stock in any of these things, it's private revelation. But she's every time she or Lord has spoken to me in many different things, it's always come true exactly as they showed me. So she said, this will happen a second time. And then she asked me, did you see it again? I said, yes, mother, a third time I saw it. She said to me, where did you see it? I saw it over one of the parishioners' houses, over their home the third time. The first two were at church. The third time was at a house. She said, that's because there will be a third blackout. And what that means is that the first two people could not go to church for mass or for the sacraments, but they found a way to participate through their computers, through Zoom, 
through the internet, through the YouTube, the third blackout, even that will be blocked. And my sons and daughters will not be able to participate in mass adoration, even electronically, that will be blacked out as well. But more so people waking up uh, in their hearts. Like inside. That God is stirring yeah. them. Yeah. And it's not just Christians, interestingly. It's agnostics mm. and others. Some of the people who are most awake today that I've met and talked to are... Um, are people who are sometimes not christians and it's interesting mm. during the whole pandemic we started hearing uh some of the top scientists out there the ones who were canceled but but their top scientists begin to speak about things in supernatural terms like mike yeadon for instance mm. former vice president of pfizer you know saying you know it's not like me to talk about this he says but you know i think we're standing at the gates of hell uh father sushrit bhakti award-winning microbiologist and so on you know he said he, he thought we were confronting satan and and other scientists who are starting to speak in in more uh existential terms and, and supernatural terms as they're starting to realize there's something much bigger that they cannot explain with their compasses and their their lab equipment or anything there's something else going on and i think that's god's mercy that is waking them up to this. Right. There's going to be, um, you know, conflict regarding him. We, we just can't. We all just get along. It's a it's a fake gospel. Now we don't intentionally look to go out and make conflicts, but if we preach the gospel, it is going to be conflict, and um, there are going to be some who say non plot yet. I don't I don't approve of it, and um, I don't want it. Get your rosaries off my ro ovaries and get your Bible out of my bedroom and you know all the stuff we yeah. have today. So I think all we could do is go and preach the gospel and accept the fact that Jesus said there are some who are going to hate you. Um, now, we don't look to be hated, but and we don't intentionally use incendiary language, but we have to use clear language that sin right. is sin. I'm just curious, Father, what your thoughts would be for the average um, Catholic myself. I'm just an average layman out there. What will we get from your book? I mean, this Eucharistic Revival book sounds amazing. Um, and again, information is in the write-up down below for people to to get access to to order it. What will we get? We'll have plenty of time for book? Christmas. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You can it it arrives in house um, next week and it ships the first week of December. So you can get it for yeah. Christmas. And on the website, you'll see you can order it right now. It's not a problem. So you're definitely going to really learn powerful gift. Yeah. You can order it right now. So 30 days. So it's a 30-day program. So it's it's some it's not just a book that you read, it's a book that you do. So it 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 unpacks the writings of St. Peter Julian Emard, praying alternating the days between the litany of the Holy Eucharist and the litany of the precious blood every day with meditations, little reflections that I offer. And you're going to learn about everything that we've been talking about, the importance of Our Lady in the Eucharist, confession in the Eucharist, reverence in the Eucharist, modesty in, in, in the Eucharist, wow. mm. proper reception of Holy Communion. Um, I even bring up things like altar rails. Why don't we bring them back? You know, it was it was efficient. You know, all these kind of issues are in the book. Done well, you know, um, it'll rattle some people, but that's okay. It's okay to be rattled yeah. because we need conversion. So um, that's what you're going to get. And you're going to learn about St. Peter Julian Mard big time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, we you don't move unless you're made uncomfortable. When you're sitting comfortable, you stay there. You made, yep. You're made uncomfortable. You kind of start moving and, and you, hopefully you start figuring things out. So, yeah. And uh, I just want to say one last thing, too. I, I can't wait to get that book. But I love it when 
authors like yourself, and I've done it too with uh, journals and things, but when you offer things out on a, on a piecemeal day by day, because you, you look at some books and it's like, oh boy, will I ever get to that? And then you don't <laughs> end up opening it. Yeah. But when you yeah. piece it out in 30 days, it's bite-sized portions that, and then you, you reflect on a piece each day. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So really, I can't wait to get my own copy. And I and let's send boxes and boxes to the USCCB, okay? I think that'd be a good okay. idea. <laughs> yeah, you can like it, Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. But no, it's a it, please everyone c- consider it. And thank you yeah. so much, Father. This has been yeah, awesome. Awesome. And uh, let's let's pray. And Father, if you wouldn't mind offering a little a little prayer to close, but um, I think especially you know let's pray that there's a true Eucharistic revival in the land, right? Can you offer a prayer? Sounds to close? good. Yeah, let's do it, brothers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mother Mary, Our Lady of Akita, we thank you for warning us as our dear mother. Help us to focus on the Eucharist, on confession, on the rosary, to change our own hearts so that we can respond to what it is that you are asking us, what it is that the Holy Trinity is asking us, so that we can be renewed and wipe those tears from your motherly face, which we love so much. Mother Mary, always bring us closer to Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. And don't awesome. forget Chaste Heart of St. Joseph uh, for the kids, too. That that looks awesome, too. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's Great. on the same website. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Father. Thank you, Thanks Father. God bless, brothers.